Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and we're going to begin reading in the tenth verse. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. So we notice there, and we've looked at this, when he said, Finally, my brethren, he's meaning, and some translations read it like this, in conclusion. In other words, I've written all this stuff in conclusion. We're summarizing, we're closing up. But finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. There is a strength to accessing God and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand or stand against the wiles of the devil. There are tricks and cunning things of the enemy. And they're not always as big as people think. Just remember that. Bible said that the way Eve got deceived by the devil... In 2 Corinthians 11, I believe it's verse 3, he said, you know, and he warned that church. He said, be careful, lest you also be deceived like Eve was deceived through the subtlety. You know what subtle is? Let me ask you this. Is a good pickpocket, you know, if somebody pickpocketed somebody, if they're good, the person doesn't know they got pickpocketed right? If they're not good, well, you know, you caught them. Hey, I, uh, give me that. Uh-uh, not today. You go find somebody else, but not me. But if they are so subtle, you can be down the road, not even realize when you go to get your lunch and pay for it, you don't even got no lunch money. You're like, well, what happened? And I mean, and, and you might start going in your head, well, I, I had my wallet when I left. I had this when I left the house, didn't I? Maybe not. Then you start thinking, no, I did. Then you're like, uh-oh, that person was subtle. Yeah, that person was subtle. You know, we all know what it is. You know, somebody falls asleep and you get a little stick and touch them, you know, on the side of it. And, uh. and if you're subtle enough, they don't know. Right? I'm not trying to teach you to do this. I'm just saying if somebody has, I've seen a video with that. And so, but it says through a subtlety. So when it says this right here, uh, put on the whole armor of God. I mean, you know, you can fool people and they don't even know. I mean, if you're subtle enough. When I was a youth pastor, I remember we, we would hang out in our youth room on late on some Friday nights. And it was a place better than other places in Southern California. And so parents just let their kids hang out. We had multiple youth workers. And some of the youth workers would stay late and some of the kids that could drive and stuff. And so we had a couch on the front row and then all the rest were chairs. And then we had video games sunk into the wall. Then we had freestanding. We had a black light room, like with everything, ping pong was black light. And... uh, in different games and stuff, and there were maybe about seven or eight of us, and a few of us were playing video games, and one of the youth that was probably about 18 fell asleep on the couch. And, I mean, this guy snored. And so we're like, let's turn the lights off. Let's change the time on the clock. Let's go get around the corner back there make a little noise till he wakes up but first you know move the cars out of the parking lot to the side and he woke up and he was like oh. 
And you know how like some rooms have a little bit of emergency lights, so there was enough light. He panicked. And we're like grabbing ourselves not to laugh because we were subtle. <laughs> and, and he's thinking, great. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning according to the clock. <laughs> they left me here. You should have seen him. It was awesome. And... <laughs> He panics and goes outside, and you know, and we just are laughing so hard, and we finally let him in on it, you know. But you just be subtle enough, and you start thinking wrong things. You know, you get wrong ideas. And right here, he said, "Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to." Verse eleven, uh, stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse verse twelve says, "For we do not wrestle." And so this wrestling is not some big thing. It's subtle sometimes. Did Jesus wrestle with flesh and blood? No, he did wrestle with principalities and powers, didn't he? In the garden? Didn't Adam and Eve wrestle with the same thing? How'd they wrestle? Physically or in their thought life? And it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts and wicked, uh, of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So he said that more than once. And he said, we wrestle. And we're in this battle, whether we like it or not. And if you're going to serve God... You're going to face things. Everybody's going to face them. Some are just going with it. But nobody has to. Because the devil can't make you do it. You have to want to do it. Some say, well, I don't want to do it. People get talked into things and start accepting things that they think are good. And they didn't extinguish a fiery dart. But notice this, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Notice, you'll be able to stand. You will be able in the evil day. What's the evil day? Tuesday? No, it's the day when these things come against you. And in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand. Make your stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. In other words, get the Word of God in your heart. Begin to meditate on the truths of the Word of God that tell you who you are in Christ, who God is to you, and begin to ponder these things in your life. Begin to think this way till they get in your heart. And then it says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about that. We have good standing with God based on Jesus, not your own performance. And then it goes on to say, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And that's just talking about being mindful of the lost and being a witness. And then it goes on to say, above all. So those are important, but he said above all. I mean, have you ever gone, man, the weather, kind of cold, and you put on your pants, your shirt, and your shoes, and you're like, I should get a jacket, but above all, I need my pants and shirt. Honestly, if you're going out in public, above all, some kind of covering is good. I can, you know, above all, we'd appreciate it at least if you wore pants or a dress and a shirt. 
Some people are not getting this. Society has crept in. No, above all. So when he's saying above all, this is important. Those are important. But when he says above all, taking the shield of faith. Taking the shield of faith. If you're going to go out, take the shield of faith. If you're going to live this life, take the shield of faith. There is a shield of faith. Now remember this, a shield does not stop things from coming, but it is efficient when they do come. So this is what I had in my heart before we moved on here is to go back and just look at a few verses that we've gone through because when you talk about the devil and when you talk about the enemy, people get all freaked out and people just, you know, they're like ants at a picnic and a can of Raid. Start spraying, they're running every direction. Some of them just fall over like, oh. So it's good for us when we start saying wrestle because then everybody has their own opinion. Oh, let's go fight the devil and let's go do this. And we're, oh, you're warfare. No, whether you're warfare or not, you're in, in this. You're going to deal with it. And so people have all kinds of goofy ideas. And so when he said, finally, we need to approach this properly. You ever flown in a plane? The bigger the plane, the better your approach needs to be. You with me? On an aircraft carrier, if you're going to get this thing right, you've got to approach at the right angle. You can't be showing off to your friends, check this out. And the aircraft carrier is this way. I ain't going to work. Approach is everything. And on a big plane... You can't just go, oh, left turn, turn on the blinker. No, you got to get in the right position, and then you come in on the approach. As a matter of fact, I remember talking to these, these pilots and, uh, on this plane, not while they were flying, commercial plane, but they had, were some of the ones that bumped that guy that got dragged off the plane. And um, not, not really. And uh, it wasn't the same plane. This was a while back. They said, you know what's wild is they said that uh, as the skies get more and more crowded, used to be you could make up loads and loads of time. He said nowadays they have approach patterns that can start a state away because there's so much air traffic that they get in this approach pattern so that they're in the right angle coming in. And if you go out into our skies in the evening, if you just kind of look through the East Valley, you'll just see like a line of planes going like this. They're on their approach pattern. Because it's important how they come in, and you got to approach a certain way. And how we come at this, we've got to approach it the right way. Because otherwise, you wipe out. And you waste time, you waste effort, you listen to different things, and you're always in a battle. You with me? The devil's real. We don't give him the time of day. Remember when Paul was preaching, doing the things that God said there was a demon-possessed lady that followed him? You know, a sorcerer, a fortune teller saying, these men know the way of God. Day one, Paul ignored her and just kept going through the town preaching. That lady still followed. These people are the people of God. They know the way of God. Just never did anything. Just kept doing the will of God. Third day, 
said he was grieved in his spirit, and he turned around and said, come out of her. And she could no longer tell fortunes. That tells you where fortunes come from. Devil leaves, can't do it anymore. You know, I remember a friend of mine was going to get his contractor's license in California, and we were both estimators at this company, and so we were in downtown L.A., and so he said, listen, I've got to stop by here, so I thought, well, I'm going to walk around, and uh, he said, I've got to run in and pay something and do something, and then I'll meet you, so I'm like, I'm going to walk around, so I'm walking down the street, and there's this, like, little inlet with a couple of floors, you know, in this building, it had said fortune teller, and so I thought, Cool. So I walked up the stairs, and the lady walks out, and I said, or no, I was actually down. I walked up to go up the stairs, and I said, oh, are you the fortune teller? And she said, well, I am. I said, oh, that's interesting. So I struck up a conversation because I thought, I'm going to talk to her. She said, I don't want to talk to you. I said, why not? She said, I could see something around you. I said, I know Jesus. There's real stuff out there. I didn't tell her. I'm a Christian. But here's the thing. We wrestle against things, but it's not like that. It's just thoughts come. You with me? Not big, huge things. We need to pay attention. So we're going to go back because approach is everything and look at this. We're going to approach correctly or we'll just get all over the place. You with me? Go back to Ephesians first chapter. Now, because this is part of the finally my brethren. We don't have to be afraid of the enemy. There are things out there. You with me? And we don't have to be bothered. Notice what he started off here in Ephesians, the first chapter. And he starts off here in the seventh verse. And it says, in him, whenever you see that term, in whom, through whom, by whom, we know we're talking about Jesus. In Jesus, if you're saved, you're in him. God's Spirit put you into His body, put you into Him. The body is the church. The church is not a building. It's where The church building is not the church. It's where we, the people, the church, meet. And He said, in Him or in Jesus, we have. We're not going to get it. We've got redemption through His blood. What does that mean? It means you were bought back, redeemed, purchased, bought back by the price of his blood. In other words, you don't belong to yourself. And so, you know, we talk, we sing that song, you know, about surrendering your soul. That's just talking about you choosing to think right, focus right. But when people say, Lord, after they've given their life to the Lord, I give you my life. It's not yours anymore to give him. When you gave your life to Him, the Bible said you were bought with a price. You are not your own. That'd be like me taking your phone and say, I'd like to give you this. I don't have a right to give it to you. It is yours. Right? And once you've given your life to the Lord, you belong to Him. He bought you. When it says redeemed... He's literally talking about being bought out from the control of the devil. So when you've been redeemed, you were bought back from spiritual darkness. You were bought back from the control of the devil. You were bought back from his rule. He has no right to rule you. Someone else rules you now. So he said, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness or literally remission or removal of sins 
according to the riches of his grace or the riches of what he paid for. He bought you back out of the hand of the enemy. So if we're going to wrestle with him, we need to understand the wrestling are thoughts that are going to come. They're going to be subtle. It's not going to be some big thing. And we're not living from a position that we belong to him. We belong to the Lord. We're under a greater power. Notice this in the, in the, uh, in the uh, 19th verse of the same chapter. Actually, let's do this. Let's go to Colossians, which is just a book over to the right. Two books over. Sorry. Two books. Philippians, Colossians. And we're going to read two or three verses right here about redemption that explain a little bit more what redemption is. Because remember, we're talking about wrestling here and the shield of faith. Notice this in, in, in Colossians, the first chapter, in the 12th verse. Giving thanks to the Father. When you're saved, God is now your Father. Giving thanks, and He cares about you. Giving thanks to the Father who has. Not He's not going to. He did this when you got saved. He has qualified you. One translation says, He made you able. Or made us able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. We're out of the darkness, we're in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Not he's going to, he has. See, the enemy doesn't have a right to uh, get and just take over your life. Why? Because you're redeemed from the power of the enemy. Well, somebody said, well, why am I having so much problems? Because people act like they're not and think they're not redeemed. They haven't renewed their mind. So they're trying to fight. Well, I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast until this comes to pass. It won't help because it is yours. It is a fact. You just don't think like it, but you got saved. You got bought. You got redeemed. You got moved out from under the control of the enemy. And then it says here, he has. doesn't say he's gonna. He has delivered us from the power of or the rule of darkness, all things that are of the kingdom of darkness, you have been delivered from them, period. Notice it doesn't say except this and that. No, it says and, and, so and is connecting, and conveyed us or moved us, one translation says translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So notice you were not just delivered. I know some people didn't get my illustration earlier, but let's get down to business here. If you ever had a pack of M&Ms and you dump them with peanuts, if you prefer, out, you dump them out, they have been delivered from the bag, right? Some people think they've been delivered. That means I'm delivered from the devil, but I'm out there somewhere. But he said, you've been delivered from the bag, then you've been translated like an M&M into your mouth. I mean, I mean, it's one thing to get out of there. But he said you've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and then moved into, not just out of, into and under the rule of the son of his love. So you're in the kingdom 
under the rule of the Son, God loves us. And so, just like in M&M, you know, you get moved out of the bag, but it hasn't really done much if that's all. If that's all we got just delivered from the devil, then we're in no man's land. But you're not in no man's land. You've been delivered out and then put into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Notice what it says. In whom, that's in Jesus, in the kingdom of the Son of His love. In whom we have, not we're gonna, we have redemption. We've been bought back. We got pulled out. We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness or literally remission or removal of all sins. Then it goes on to say Jesus is the, is the visible image of the invisible God, and we're in Him. Notice we've been bought out, moved out, delivered from. When you got saved, the devil lost his right to beat you up, to take advantage of you, to make you do anything, to force you somewhere, to sense, oh, I'm inferior in this life. He has no right. And here's the thing. Remember, we're talking about approaching this wrestling and taking up the shield of faith. So notice this in Ephesians, the first chapter. This is all, you know, thoughts through Ephesians. Notice this, Ephesians 1.19. He's in the middle of praying. He's praying that they would know three primary areas that God has given to every believer an inheritance, a hope, an expectation of a present-day calling on the earth to do something and serve God, and then a future call to live with Him forever. And, and then it talks about a positional change where you were delivered out of the power of the enemy and then put into the kingdom of God's dear Son in a victorious way. Notice this, verse 19, we'll pick up in the prayer. And that, so that we would know what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us, the believer who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ. God worked this in Christ. But remember, He's wanting you to know it because it was directed toward you. It was this work that happened in Christ was not for Jesus. It was for you. Jesus didn't need to die for his own sins. He never sinned. He didn't need to die for, you know, and take stripes for healing. He'd lived totally separate. As a matter of fact, he didn't have to die to whip the devil, to, to redeem man, because the Bible said, he even said at the end of his life, he mastered the devil all through his life. Devils would even cry out when he would come around. But come to the end of his life, and they're praying in the garden. He said, I'm not going to say much more to you right now. He said, the devil's coming, and uh, he's got nothing in me. He's got no place in my life. What was he doing? He was saying, listen, I've lived this life totally separate, and I'm about to pay a price. He didn't pay that price for himself. He did it for you individually, period. You individually, period. Each person he looks at as an individual who's important in his sight. Lost people and saved people. He paid for it. And so it says, notice this, that they would know this power that was directed toward them according to the working of his mighty power, verse 20, which he worked in Christ. God worked this in Christ. But remember, it was for you. 
It was toward you. It was on your behalf. Everything he did and that he's about to talk about was on your behalf. Notice this, and on my behalf, on the believer's behalf. Notice verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And, so he didn't just raise him from the dead. It's it's important for us to know he raised him from the dead. You know, we celebrated Easter a couple weeks ago, and we celebrated his resurrection. But if he just raised him from the dead, and he's been wandering around the streets, you know, you could run into Jesus. There he is right there. No, he's, he got raised, but then notice what happened after he got raised. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and this was his work for you and for me, for all believers, and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now, when we see right hand, that literally is a physical place, but it's also a spiritual place. It literally means the place of power and authority. It is the highest position. So when Jesus was raised and got this body that he had here resurrected, he sat down at the right hand of God. God seated him there at the highest place of authority and power. Now he's going to explain just how high this is. Now where's Jesus? at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible said he's there forever for you and for me. But notice this. Far above all principalities, all power, all might, all dominion, and every name that is named. Well, I got this disease. They don't even have a name for it yet. Praise the Lord. He covered it. The name which is above every name. Well, I'm not sure if I've got ADD or I've got this. His name's above it. Not only in this age, so he was raised up in this age, the age we live in, but also in that which is to come because we know there are other ages that are to come. This isn't the end. When you die, it's not the end. There's a bigger chunk out there than there is here. This is minute compared to eternity in the ages to come and there are ages there's a millennium age that's only a thousand years that's still a tiny chunk then there's beyond that and so he is above in every age he's it in every age to come and notice this and he put all things under his feet what all things all those principalities all those powers All those might. And every name, the flu, is under his feet. Somebody said, well, that's wonderful. But remember, this was not done for him. Because he was in heaven before. The Bible said he proceeded out of the bosom of the Father and was clothed upon. That's why he's called the Word that became flesh. He was God in the flesh. He didn't have to do this but for you and for me. And he didn't even have to do it. He chose to because of, the Bible said, because of his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were all jacked up. So if you were jacked up and he loved you, said, said, you think he still loved me after all the dumb stuff I did? I don't know. Of course. That's that right there. If we could see into the spirit, you'd have a big old fiery dart sticking in your head burning. You're like, you think he loved me? You got something burning in your head right now? You need to extinguish that. Oh, if we could only see. So he's like that. What's that on your head? Uh, this uh, nothing. 
It's like a candle or something burning. But we can extinguish every fiery dart. So when he said, well, you say, oh, I don't know if he loves me. You, you need to take up that shield. But notice this, and he put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be the head. Who's the head? Jesus. Jesus is the head. You're not the head. I'm not the head. I'm an under-shepherd who is a head here, but he's still the head of my life. And I endeavor to pray and know what to do and how to do things. And so sometimes I may be quick to do something. Sometimes I may be slow. You know, there's some things you just know. You pray, and I'm like, bam, got it. There's other times I'm praying and praying. We, we were making a decision about something, and we, we needed a decision. And I said, well, we technically have two days. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Pray to Pastor Linda. And then we talked again, and I kind of had a knowing and thought, well, we'll pray some more. I'm just going to know. I need to know what the head's got to say about this. What's Jesus want, right? And so that being said, he will direct us. He's the head. He's the head of what? He's the head over the church, over all things to the church. He's the head. Notice, he's the head over all things to the church, which is his body. His body is the church. His body is the church. He's the head of the body. Notice he's not the body. Notice he's the head. Notice the body is not the head. I know this is getting deep. So he said, now, okay, you're trying to say like the body is not the head. Got that. The head is not the body. Got that. That's exactly what I'm saying. There's a head and there's a body. And the body's not the head and the head is not the body. But they're one. So he said, whoa, now slow down. They're one. Like you have a head. Okay, I got that. I got a body. Notice they're connected right here. And they're separated. You can recognize head. It gives instructions to the body. Right? Huh? Head, body, one, connected. Head gives instructions to the body. Body, pay attention. Notice, though, but he put all things under his feet. Who's his feet belong? Where are his feet? They're in the body. Somebody said, I think I'm getting this. So he didn't just put the devil under his head. He put him under his feet, and we're the body. So then that means if we're redeemed from the devil, he's under our feet. That means... We're, we're, whoa. So when we're wrestling, we're wrestling from a victorious position that Satan, like Colossians 2.15 says, he's been stripped of his power. Notice this, and he put all things under his feet, and then it says, which is his body, the church, which is his body, verse 23, and which is the fullness of him. The church is the fullness of him. Who fills all in all. He didn't fill the whole world. He fills the church. He fills the believer. That's why Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So we can say, I've got the life of Christ in me. Every believer does. Way down in their spirit. Not in their mind, not in their body, but in their spirit. They've got the life of Christ. They've got his very eternal life. That's why when you die, you go to heaven. 
So let's read on, because we're trying to introduce you to the shield of faith. Notice this, verse 5 and 6 of the very next chapter. Notice, even when we were dead in trespasses, verse 5, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Right? But now let's look at verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus or in this position of power and authority. Turn to Ephesians 4. Notice this. 27th verse. Notice right smack in the middle is a tiny little verse and it says, Nor give place to the devil. Well, if he tells me don't give him a place and I'm exalted with Christ and all these things are under my feet, he's basically saying you have authority. You are the responsible party. He said don't give him a place. He said don't give him a place. That means you are responsible. Now if I disobey God and just go against God, you know, I'm going to have an open door. But if I'm obeying God, I can start resisting and not allow him to have a place. Now let's jump over and close right here in Ephesians 6. Because he's defeated, he's been stripped of his power, we've been raised up into this victorious position. So when we go to wrestle with him, we're not going in trying to win. And notice it's in the evil day that we do this. It's in the day they come against us. Because there are days that he'll come. Oh, yeah, 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 you want to go forward with God? Sure you do, dummy. You saw all that stupid stuff you did. We, I saw it too. Yeah, you're right. No, take up the shield of faith. He has no right to condemn you. That's why righteousness is a huge thing. We talked about that. God set you in good standing. Who is he who judges and accuses you? Remember Romans said that? It's Satan, not God. Jesus died and rose and justified you. He set you right. So when those thoughts of condemnation come, just know they're fiery darts. And you have to not give them, you have the right to not allow them a place in your life. But let's look here at Ephesians 6, verse 16. And above all, taking the shield of faith. So he tells you what this shield is. It's a shield of what? What is it? A faith shield. Notice he said, take up the shield of faith. Faith literally means confidence. Where do you get confidence in God? Through his word. Faith, the Bible said, comes when you hear his word. And above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Notice that phrase. Notice, if you cut out some of those words, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which, get rid of that. And then it says, you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and just get rid of, of the wicked one. And just read that, you will be able to quench all the fiery darts. You will, you are, you are able, with the shield of faith, to quench every fiery dart. Notice, Every single fiery dart you can quench or extinguish with the shield of faith. That's pretty good. You can get them all. Every single one you can extinguish. We had a fire here over the weekend, I guess, or last week. And uh, it started burning. 
and there was a campfire or something like that. Somebody had started a fire, and it started small, and uh, it took a while for the fire department to get there, and so it started to burn, and it burned, I believe, up to 800 and something acres. Well, what did they do to stop that from burning? They extinguished it with a hose. They had the equipment, and they were, as firemen, are commanded to put out fires, right? And they have the equipment and the ability to extinguish all of them. And you do too, but it's called the shield of faith. What is a shield of faith? Well, it's part of that truth. And what it is, is there's issues when you're going and minding your own business and a stupid thought comes to you, because remember, it's through subtlety, you use the shield of faith. Jesus used it. Adam and Eve and Jesus are the introduction to humanity and the introduction to new humanity in Christ. The introduction to humanity, what happened, Eve and Adam were there, and the enemy started throwing some thoughts, some th subtle thoughts. They said, if you eat this, you'll be like God. And they started getting the wrong idea. Instead of dealing with the devil, they started entertaining it. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll be like God. I'll have this position. That, that kind of stuff, when you need a position, you need to be careful because, and you need glory and you need all that, be careful. That's the devil himself. That's how he got thrown out of heaven. So you don't have to have a poor, condemned attitude, but... You can quench fiery darts. You don't have to have an inferior mentality about yourself in God. And then you don't have to think every evil thing that comes against you is God. If you don't know, then people accept it. You with me? But if they start to know, they can deal with it because things get cultivated in your head. Failure starts in your head before it starts playing out in your life. Well, I just guess I'll be like this the rest of my life. No, you work in me both to will and to do of your good pleasure. You said that, God, therefore that's a lie. I will do God's plan. He works in me. That's a Bible verse. Yeah, but I failed so many times. Well, the Bible said there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God does not condemn me. I'm washed. You know, Revelation said they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. You have to give testimony to the truth when fiery darts come. Then when they're extinguished, just keep your focus on the Lord. Sometimes they'll try to persist. You can speak to them. If doubt comes, no, that's not God. Well, you can't get your prayers answered. God didn't hear you. I resist you. He said, if I ask and you, Jesus paid for this so everybody's prayers can get answered. And it's not like, can I have this God? No. Oh, okay. Well, he answered. No, not like that. And people need to know that fiery darts can come, but he said, with this shield of faith, you can quench 95% of these things. You can get most of them. No, 100%. But I mean, if you got a big fire burning, just realize it may take a little bit before you get them all quenched. But it can be done. I said, it can be done concerning our obedience in our thought life, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 talk about it. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for casting down imaginations, arguments, taking thoughts captive. 
He tells you what the battle is. It's not against the devil per se. It's dealing with those thoughts and stuff that he tries to accuse you and say, you're never good enough. You're not good enough. You can't succeed. You can't live victorious. You can't even resist the devil. That's a fiery dart. You can't resist the devil. Everybody else can, but not you. No, the Bible said, devil, resist and you flee. So I'm speaking to that thought that's trying to persist, persist, and I'm extinguishing it. You flee. Doubt, you have no place. Go in Jesus' name. And keep your, don't, here's the thing. When you deal with this, don't get your attention all on the devil. You speak things and you move forward and you get your attention back away from him. Otherwise, you get all demon thinking, and that is foolish. But you can extinguish fiery darts. You have the ability to do it in God. You can, if you will. Don't sit around and watch it burn. Oh, look at that. I mean, I, I do have to admit I have a fascination with fires. I don't know that it's God. But I'm not going to ever get in trouble for lighting one, and, okay? Whoa, he, had a, he was doing that on the side. No. But what I did was I drove because the fire basically was out. They had, were putting out some hot spots. But they had opened the highway up here where that fire was. So I drove by there the other night. And or when the sun was setting, I wanted to look. I was like, wow, it got thrashed. You know, it got burned up. And so I have tinted windows. So I thought, I'm rolling down my windows because who doesn't want a better view? And um, so I'm driving along looking out the window. And as I was driving, I was like, man, it's stinking. There's some smell in here because of them extinguishing. And listen... There can be a smell. There can be a smoldering. They didn't put that thing out overnight. You can extinguish things. You can use words. They applied something on that fire. And I'll tell you what, those thoughts can affect you. They make life stinky. Serious. You ever deal with depression? Man, if fear comes, you speak to it and say, you don't have a place in my life. You start getting rid of it. God, the Bible said, has not given me a spirit of fear. I have a spirit of power in me. I have a spirit of love in me, and I have a sound mind. That means I can think right. I have a good memory. I, you know, well, you know, you get older, the first thing to go is your mind. That's great. Let's just let those fiery darts sit there. Let's just let those burn for a while. What'd you say? Where were we? Oh, praise the Lord. No, put those out. Somebody said, well, but that's just how it is. No, it's not. Because you can meet people that are older that have minds that are super sharp. You can read about them in the Bible. But what if we get in a society that accepts fiery darts? You don't have to walk around going, Don't say that to me. No. If you get something in your head, you don't have to do it in public in the middle of the grocery store. Hey, whoa, stop that. Hey, now. Fiery dart. No, you could do it under your breath. You're going to look like a kook. You out there? And so you need to speak to them, though. You can be subtle, too, and just under your breath say, no, I have a sharp mind. It's always going to be sharp. Go read Daniel. When they separated themselves into God, they became ten times smarter than the rest of them just by their consecration to God. Well, it doesn't mean they, got, they served God so they got ten times more stupid. Wow, they're serving God, and look how stupid. They keep getting dumber. Now, if Daniel under that Old Testament, Old Covenant got smarter, then we should... Why should we think our mind's going to fall apart? 
But you may have been around people your whole life that had their mind fall apart. And so you just let those fiery darts go. Well, here it comes. I, that little. It's just a, a, it's a, you forgot one time and then you start those fiery darts. Here it is. It's starting right now. Here goes your memory. Here it goes. Why don't you quench that? Because you can quench all the fiery darts. That's why the Bible said concerning the Psalm 91, the, the chapter of protection and deliverance and, and, you know, being under attack and being able to stand. Remember, he who dwells in the secret place, the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, he is my fortress, he is my strength. I will say. And then it goes on, it said, you know, 10,000 will fall at your, or 1,000 at your one side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not draw near unto me. He kept declaring God is his protection, and though he saw it, he said, talked about all these diseases, pestilence, dangers and stuff, and he said, I'll be delivered out of all of them. Well, here's the thing. He said 1,000 right here and 10,000 right here. Well, doesn't that sound like, hey, family, relatives, people I know, this happened to them. I guess I'm next. No, put that out. Put it out. Come up here and I'll slap your hand. No, don't, don't play with that. You know, because some kids, they're like, uh, they just keep sticking there. One more time and, and you're going to get smacked. You know, like I said before, that famous scene on airline, on the airplane movie where, you know, they go on, that lady starts freaking out, so they just take turns slapping her. I don't know where that is in the Bible, but sometimes you think, that's what people need right there. No, it's got to get their attention. Hey, listen, you could put these fiery darts out, and how many of you can, can you put out? All of them. And hey, here's one way to put out fiery darts. If you're, if you're, on, man, if you're on all kinds of medication and you're a young girl and you know, thinking, do I have to live with this the rest of my life? Why don't you on your own just start laughing? The Bible said God laughs at his enemies. But this doesn't have power over me. Ha, 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 ha. Nobody has to hear you. Ha, 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 This has no power over me. I'm, I'm, I'm free. And then go ahead and take it. Well, and, but just laugh. Take time. The Bible said we are to be imitators of God as dear children. And the Bible said the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Bible said that, uh, that Abraham was strengthened in his faith as he gave glory unto God. And he didn't consider his own body now dead or his wife's body dead. And she had a baby when they're about 100 years old. That's pretty good. Somebody said, I ain't believing for that. I ain't either. But, but, but they still got a miracle. I'm grateful for theirs. But he shows it's the principle how he didn't focus on the problem, but he rejoiced in the face of it. You're going to put fiery darts out that way. I mean, the enemy will want you not to rejoice. You get enough fire going? <laughs> no, then you have to rejoice. Say, thank you, Lord. Glory to God. I'm going to win. I'm a winner. I'm already, I approach this. I'm victorious. You are. So if you don't think you are, come up here. I want to slap you. No. <laughs> you are. And slapping you wouldn't help. It would just probably make me feel better. But no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Somebody's like, yeah, uh, it would make me feel better if you did that to my husband. No. You, the only way it's going to work is if you put out the fiery darts. If you know you have a poor self-image, start saying, 
God loves me, I'm accepted in the beloved. That's a Bible verse. That's why you gird your loins with truth. I'm accepted in the beloved. I don't care if anybody accepts me. Does it even matter? I'm accepted in the beloved. I mean, when it all comes down to it and we die, oh, Lord, look, everybody accepted me. Yeah, you're not saved. Then you don't get in. But, hey, I'm accepted in the beloved. That's the only party I need to be accepted by. You with me? I mean, we're, we'll, we'll have you. Meaning, keep coming. But at the same time, you should recognize how I feel about myself shouldn't be determined on how many people like me and don't like me and who's talking bad about me and who appreciates me and who doesn't. Big deal. I just think everybody likes me. And I'm not bothered. And I may have one person who likes me. But I feel good about it because I know it's the Lord. Amen?